Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Wednesday, April the 19th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Coming up, we're going to have reaction from what was a very eventful night at Priestfield Stadium. Plus, a Kent filmmaker has revealed how the county has inspired his latest production. And we find out what it's like living next to a crime hit park. But first, figures out today show the cost of food and non-alcoholic drinks are going up faster than at any point in the last 45 years. So it's probably something you're more than aware of when you do the weekly shop. And the rising cost of living has slowed slightly, but it's not by as much as experts have predicted. Inflation dropped ever so slightly to 10.1% in March, and that's from 10.4% the month before. And it's not just households that are continuing to feel the pinch. Community groups and charities in Kent are also struggling. One in Medway, in fact, has been forced to close a community cafe they run because of soaring costs. Now, the site is at Prospect Place in Gillingham and provides healthy meals for around 60 vulnerable residents as well as other members of the public. It's run by Gillingham Street Angels and boss Neil Charlick has been speaking to Sophia Aiken from our colleagues at KMTV. We're lucky we're a charity, we get reduced bills, the cost of food is rising. The whole point of our charity is to either give free food or in a place like this very cheap food. It's just not possible these days. We were talking about before a bottle of tomato sauce. That bottle of tomato sauce is £4.50. If you're trying to work on our ethos, we're giving meals out, children's meals for a pound, which covers our costs. These days you just can't buy anything for a pound. The cost of food is just going through the roof. It's skyrocketing. Even eggs, trying to get eggs enough just to cook someone an omelette is now impossible. It's just become too difficult for us. Across the whole of our charity, I'd say we've doubled. The cost, what we're having to for fuel, gas, electric, insurances, everything is going up. There is nothing that's cheaper. There is nothing out there that's cheap, nothing that's affordable. I went into Poundland Friday, which is, is Poundland. I think nothing's a pound anymore. They just don't sell things for a pound. The costs are horrendous, and this is affecting the charity. It's affecting other charities, affecting everybody. There is no easy part at the moment for people out there. It's, it's a bit sad, really. And how much would you say it sort of costs you to run a cafe like this? You've got a few, haven't you? So how much would you say roughly a month it's costing the charity? About, about £2,000 a month in total, the cost to actually run the... Ch- and there's, there's other things this does as well. So apart from just supply of food, we do have a lot of other charities, people with learning difficulties that we employ. People can come in here and volunteer. It's good for people to volunteer. It's good for people to have a purpose. So it's, it's sad on many levels that we've had to, we've had to shut this down. And what's been the response from sort of residents that are relying on using services like this? What have they? What's they're upset. Reaction? We're upset. They're upset. No one's going to be happy about it. But it's just not financially not viable. And as a charity, we need to make things pay. We can't afford to to swallow losses. We appreciate donations, whether it's financial, food, clothing. We need we need it all. But I think a lot of people are struggling. We're aware people are struggling themselves. So it's not as easy as it was. People could afford previously to donate here and there. I think it's becoming hard for everybody. The people who use our services, it used to be homeless, then it was people in supported accommodation. Now we've got people in full-time jobs that use our services because they just can't afford to pay the bills. It's feared people who rely on the service will also be left with nowhere to socialise as many of them rarely leave the building. Tyler Swan is a support worker at Prospect Place. I think it's a shame because a cafe in a building like this is a great asset we have at residents who can't cater for themselves, residents who can't leave their flats so they will have deliveries of food and of course the social aspect will disappear if you don't have a communal meeting place for the residents. 
I think it's going to be a case of having to make do with things like microwave meals, maybe having to go further afield, which will end up costing them more, no doubt. And like I said before, they will lose that social aspect. This might be the only time they leave their flat. So it is a great shame that we're losing it. You have things like Subway, you have the various fast food places, but in terms of cost, I don't think that's viable on a daily basis, especially for the kind of people who live here who are inevitably vulnerable people, very low incomes. And some of them, to be quite frank, don't get out of the building very much. So I think it is a case of having to settle for home cooking and the level that's going to be on is sandwiches, microwave meals, nothing that's particularly nutritious. Connor Regan lives in the building and says the charity will be sorely missed. It's been the heart and soul of this place. It's been everything. Neil and his wife and all the team, on and off different people all the time. They've been incredibly, incredibly um, involved with us. They've always been friendly, always been looking for the right food for us, always very healthy food. It is really awful what's happening. The whole place was a better place for Neil and the family. It added something more to the feeling of comfort, family, family comfort, familial comfort, friendly, friendly feeling. Neil's and the family, their turnover is so small. It's to take that and bring it into the larger sense of things that Neil is doing on the streets. of That feeling of helping the whole of the environment, the whole of the place, Gillian, which is in a bad state. It's lost all the jobs since the army left. They haven't left anything support there for people. So this kindness, this piece of, of goodness within the area, people could have, could have and should have done more publicity to get more people from the surrounding area to keep it going. But that's another, that's a moat, a moat point. It was a hypothetical question, but I think it'll be a loss. To all the community. Kent Online News. At the top stories today, and it's emerged the body of a suspected murder victim in Canterbury was discovered in a sleeping bag. 51-year-old Guy Levy was found in a multi-storey car park in the city on Easter Monday. He'd also suffered injuries to his head and body. Four men have been charged and are due to enter pleas next month. Two men have been arrested on suspicion of assault after a man was stabbed in Ashford. Emergency services were called to Beecham Drive on Friday night when residents reported hearing screaming. The victim suffered wounds to his legs and one hand and was taken to hospital. The podcast has been told a dog that died in a fire at a flat in Sheerness managed to save his owner but couldn't escape the flames. The blaze broke out at a property on the high street on Monday. This is actually one of our most read stories on the website today. The American bully alerted his owner, Kevin Record, who was able to get out and is now in hospital being treated for 20% burns. We do wish Kevin a very speedy recovery. You can see pictures of him and his hero pet by heading to Kent Online today. There's also a link within that story to a fundraising page to help the 43-year-old as he he recovers. The government's been accused of rewriting the rules like the Soviet Union following major issues with overcrowding at an asylum facility in Kent. Thousands of people were being held at Manston last year, you may well remember, and ministers ended up creating new regulations that would allow them to keep refugees there for longer, with the decision's been criticised in the House of Lords amid concerns about safety and standards of care. 
Staying with political news and the MP for Canterbury has used Prime Minister's questions to raise concerns about the safety of women in hospitals. A report out this week has revealed between January 2019 and October last year there were more than 6,500 sexual assaults on women in hospital settings. Well, Rosie Duffield has spoken about it in the Commons and got a response from Rishi Sunak. This week, the Women's Rights Network published a report by criminologist Professor Joe Phoenix called When We Are At Our Most vulnerable, revealing that between January 2019 and October 2022, which includes the pandemic lockdown of course, there were a staggering 6,539 reported rapes and sexual assaults in UK hospital settings. That's an average of 33 incidents every single week. And as eight police forces did not provide any data, the real figures are bound to be significantly higher. What can the Prime Minister and his government do to ensure that all women, staff and patients are safe in Britain's hospitals? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can, I, uh, can I first of all say I was deeply shocked, like the Right Honourable Lady, and appalled to hear about the cases of sexual assault and abuse in the NHS. And I pay tribute to her for her long-standing campaign on these issues. NHS organisations are responsible for protecting their staff and patients from sexual harassment and conduct. Uh, They've recently established a domestic abuse and sexual violence programme to build more robust safeguarding processes for protecting patients. We will work very closely with them to ensure that that is implemented. And I know she will hold us to account for doing that. Kent Online reports. A controlled explosion has been carried out in Sittingbourne after a First World War grenade was discovered near children's playing equipment. Army experts were called to the Apple Yard sports ground and the area was evacuated. The device was found by a groundsman who was doing some gardening there. We've shared a link to a video of the explosion via our socials. Next today, a reporter, James Pallant, has been chatting to people living near a crime-hit park to find out what it's really like. Chances are you've actually heard of Dane John Gardens in Canterbury and not just because it's the venue for the city's annual Pride celebrations. It's ended up with a bit of a bad reputation for violent offences. In fact, a Kent Online investigation revealed almost 100 crimes were reported in the gardens between 2020 and 2021, including 12 sexual assaults. However, people living nearby are determined to change its image and improve the area. Leslie and John live right near the park and have been speaking to the podcast. There's a huge sense of community here. The park is absolutely beautiful. There's a really good South American cafe here that's very friendly, it's fun, it's the guy who runs it is very hospitable. It's a really lovely place to be generally. A wonderful sense of community. I was not prepared for it at all. There's, you know, groups of us meet on a regular basis. And lots of mummies with their children come here, which is really lovely. I find other parts of the town more intimidating. There are homeless people and junkies all over the area. And um, I've never been bothered by it, ever. I go out late at night, I come home, no problem at all. But I find um, the surroundings are wonderfully varied. Um, There is a a powerful structure of a great avenue running through the park, but if you look to either side of that, you get a glimpse of history. For example, if I now look to my right, uh, I can see 
the, the Norman Castle, I can see alongside in the park a what is technically called a cottage or namely the, old, the former gardener's cottage which is a Victorian building and then if I swing to the right I see a Regency Terrace. Now that sums up the history of Britain. I think it's vastly exaggerated. There may be misbehaviour from time to time as there are throughout any city and this is no exception. Um, but I can honestly say that at no point in the whole of the period that I've been here have I witnessed anything that would be regarded as uh, antisocial or dangerous. The council are planning a new children's play area. We're told work should be getting underway in September. Gates with nighttime shutting are also planned plus more lighting and CCTV cameras. Kent Online reports. A man who stole hundreds of pounds worth of alcohol from an Asda in Gravesend has been ordered to do 60 hours of unpaid work. Mikhail Gulas targeted the store on the Imperial Retail Park in January and February saying he was homeless and needed something to drink. The 30-year-old from Wallace Park in Norfleet was already on a community order at the time. A large office block in Canterbury could be turned into flats after workers finally left the building. Plans to convert Beckett House on New Dover Road were given the go-ahead three years ago. It's been used as a BT call centre and could eventually be almost 120 homes. And 1,500 homes are still without broadband ten days after a cliff collapse in Swanscombe. Cables were destroyed in the landslide on Galley Hill Road on Easter Monday. Openreach say they're working hard to restore the network and some neighbours are showing Wi-Fi if one of theirs is working. Kent Online News. Now, a Kent filmmaker has revealed how the county has inspired him to create his new dystopian blockbuster. Ben Pullen says his movie Last Sentinel was inspired by the Mansell Forts off Herne Bay. It's set in 2063 and has been described as a sci-fi thriller and Ben has been telling the podcast more about it. When I first moved to Kent, I lived near Faversham and I used to drive along the Thanet Way and I used to see those forts off Herne Bay shimmering in the distance and for anyone who's never seen them you, you, the first time you see them you're like what on earth is that so it was inspired by the Monsal forts and to to develop that script I accessed development funding from both Screen South and the Kent Film Office so it was thanks to Screen South and the Kent Film Office that I had enough money to develop it into a script and then you know it took many many years I think as I said to you it coincided with my third son Silas getting ill with cancer and then and then two years later he died and and that took many many years out of my life I suppose and when I was eventually ready to get back in the saddle I picked up Last Sentinel again and off we went. And then so we filmed it pretty much during lockdown in Estonia. There's a big dedication to Silas at the end of it. And it was um, it was definitely Silas. It's a hard it's such a it's such a challenge getting any film made at the moment. You know, obviously, we we know there's so much TV going on because we all sit there and watch our Netflixes and our Amazons and stuff. But to be an indie filmmaker, to, to be an indie film producer is a real challenge at the moment for lots and lots of different reasons. So it took it took a lot, a lot of 
perseverance and dedication and crazy amounts of time uh, to get this going. And it was in a way, Silas, I suppose, that kept me motivated and indeed kept those around me motivated. I think when sometimes my producing partners, especially Pippa Cross, who's a, who is also um, a producer based in the Southeast, every now and then we'd flag and then she'd be like, no, you, you know, you've got to do this for Silas. And I'd be like, yes, we have to do this for Silas. So it became like a rallying call for us, for Pippa, me and Matt, who's the other UK producer. I'd be like, let's do this for Silas. So, so yeah, he really helped us get it over the line. And so on the 24th of April, it'll be a digital release across the normal places that people buy their films. It's not going to be on, on a streaming service, so it won't be on a Netflix, but it will be on Apple iTunes. It'll be on Amazon Prime. It'll be on uh, Google Play. And um, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the price is at the moment, but it'll be probably in the region of £4 or something to download it. So, you know, I think that'll be a really good night in for people. The cast includes Kate Bosworth and Emily in Paris star Lucien Laviscon. It'll be released next Monday. Wildlife campaigners are trying to raise enough money to buy an ancient piece of woodland in Canterbury after it was put up for sale. Covert Wood covers 26 hectares and is on the market for £475,000. Kent Wildlife Trust have already raised 100000 and are launching an appeal for the rest. They want to use the land to reintroduce species, including the pine martin. Buyers have the chance to scoop up what could be the world's smallest ice cream parlour inside an old telephone box in Ramsgate. The owners of Ring Ring Ice Cream outside the Royal Pavilion Weatherspoon are looking for a new vendor. The tiny retail space on the harbour they say is available for £300 a month. Now, you could soon be able to camp at a water park in Kent. Plans have been put in to expand White Mills Wake and Aquapark in Sandwich less than a year after it opened. If it's all given the go-ahead, a new training lake would be built along with space for tents and camper vans. And Harry Styles and his Kent writing partner have been nominated for three prestigious awards. Kit Harpoon from Chatham helped work on many of his songs, including As It Was. They're leading the way for this year's Ivor Novello Awards. Kent Online Sports. Football first and it was a very eventful night at Priestfield with confirmed promotion for Leighton Orient, League Two safety for Gillingham and a power cut just to add to the drama. The game had to be paused 10 minutes before the end when all of the floodlights went out. It did manage to resume when generators kicked in and the Jills ended up with a stunning 2-0 victory over the team at the top of the table. Here's manager Neil Harris. Let's deal with fact. We've just been top of the league. The, the best team in the league by a mile. We've just beaten them. 2-0 at home um, and for 80 minutes even playing against 10 men they make it difficult for you um, but we, we we beat them um, so that's one part of it the second part of it is finishing in surreal circumstances where we know we've stayed in the division as long as we don't concede three goals or we know they've won they, they're promoted <laughs> and we've had a 25 minute break where the players are in their 43rd game of the season and everyone's fatigued and no one wants to go back on the pitch, but we have to finish the game because that's the rules. Nobody wants to get up at a tempo again because they're going to pull the hamstring, their calf, do their back in. Um, so we finished in bizarre circumstances where the game was played at a lesser tempo. Um, I, I don't blame them for not wanting the press. I don't blame the players. There was certainly no message from me to say don't don't attack, um, and, we, and we did at times. But the game lent itself, the rules lent, lent themselves to us 
finishing the ball and or in, not wanting to move really and damage their goal difference or get injured players. So re- really bizarre circumstances. But the fact is we've beaten the best team in the league 2-0 and what we've done since uh, January the 13th is um, quite miraculous. I wouldn't say it was our best, best performance. But on paper, it's our best result. And I thought for 12 minutes, I thought we were poor and I thought they were excellent. <laughs> they kept the ball. The, the, the game changer was the record, obviously, um, put us in the ascendancy. But then they've still got players that can damage a 1v1. And, and even though Glenn's not had to make a save in the 90 minutes, um, you know, there's still that threat if they can hurt us. Um, I thought the game management was really good after the red card. I'm, I'm just delighted. The reaction's raw at the moment. And I'm talking about what I've seen tonight um, in, in the result and then the bizarre last 10 minutes. Um, it's like the place on record, delight for Richard Wellens and his group. They've by far been the best team um, over the course of the season. Stockport have been quite clear and have been very good second half of the season. Orient deserve to be league champions and will be league champions. Um, because they're, they're the top side. Hundreds of homes were also affected by the power cut, but we're told electricity was restored overnight. And again, huge congratulations to Gillingham for securing their safety in League Two. Don't forget, just before Christmas, they were at the very bottom of the Football League. It's been a complete turnaround since the new year. And in tennis, Kent's Emma Rajakanu has suffered a disappointing start to her clay court season. The British number one from Orpington was beaten in straight sets by Latvia's Yelena Ostapenko in the first round of the Stuttgart. Gart Open. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.